Is Jesus the only way to God? Well, no, if you talked with anyone that we spoke with uh, downtown. And if that, new, if that is news to you, you should probably get out more. <laughs> right, because I would think that almost every person we talk to downtown, the most people who are young you talk to would say, no, of course not. Because to say that Jesus is the only way to God means that you're saying that there are not multiple ways and that you're right and you have the absolute grip on truth and that I don't have any share of the truth and maybe even I'm going to this place called hell. You really think that? Right? And I'd be the first to admit as a Christian pastor that oftentimes religion can lead to exclusivity and it can lead to intolerance and it can lead to hate. And I think all religions, that can happen. Because you begin to separate people. And if your religion is based on your performance, then you're always going to be looking down on other people who don't perform as well as you. And it's going to create this division. And so in our culture now, it's very uh, scandalous or controversial to say Jesus is the only way to God. Because people will then say, well, who are you to say that your view of reality is more right than my view of reality? And when we talk to the people downtown not the ones that answered the question answered that way. And then we talked with several more people and all of them uh, said, said, no, he's not the only way to God. Of all the questions that we asked him, this was the only one that everybody agreed on. This is the only, the only one. Is Jesus the only way to God? Which I, w- I would have put, I'm not a betting man, but if I were, right, church is a safe place, I would have put my money on that would have been the answer for every single person. And one of the girls was religious. She grew up in a church. She goes to church, Right. And yet she still thought, well, I just can't imagine that. And so in our culture now, better than saying there's one way to God, we need to coexist together. And in a pluralistic world, coexisting is kind of the mantra. And you may have seen the bumper sticker. It sometimes is seen on cars in Madison every once in a while, which I'm all for it. Like, I want to coexist. I never really understand it. It's like, yeah, I'm all for coexisting as a Christian. I think everyone should be able to practice their religion how they want. But now the mantra is there's not one way, there are many ways. And if we could just coexist together and realize that everyone has a piece of the truth, no one has the whole truth, then we can all just get along together and sing Kumbaya and wouldn't the world be a better place? And in Leslie Newbegin, who was a British missionary to India, uh, wrote a book called The Gospel in a Pluralist Society. And he talked about an illustration that often got put on him by people who practiced Eastern religions. And it's kind of a famous illustration, so you may have heard it, but I'll share it anyway. And it illustrates this point. He said, you'd be sharing the gospel with someone of an Eastern religious faith, Buddhism or Hinduism, something like that. And they would come back with him and say, okay, great, great, Leslie, but let, that's not going to help anybody have peace in the world. Let's think of it this way. And so they would tell the story of an elephant and three blind men. And the narrator is telling the story, and the narrator knows it's an elephant, but the blind men don't know it's an elephant because they're blind. They have no idea what the elephant's like. And so the story goes, well, the first blind man comes into the elephant and is grabbing uh, the tusk of the elephant and uh, thinks, well, this thing is, is you know, long and it's kind of uh, wavy, so maybe it's a snake. Maybe the animal is a snake. And the second blind man is holding like one of the um, legs of the elephant. And he's like, no, no, no. It's not a snake. It's completely different than that. What are you talking about? And the third man is, has his hands up on the side of the elephant. And it's like, you guys are both wrong. Why can't you see this? I have my hands on the side. And clearly this animal is long and has hard skin and is very flat and thin. 
And the illustration continues, well, all religions are like this. Everyone has a piece of the truth, but no one has the whole truth. Some religions are the trunk, some religions are the legs, some religions are the tail, but no one has the whole view of the truth. And to say you have the whole view of the truth is never going to create right peace in the world. And Lizzie Newbegin, in his book, he would say, he'd get that all the time, and it sounds wise, right? If someone said that to you, you might be like, Hmm, okay, well, oh man, that sounds good. (laughs) And he heard it so many times, and finally, I think it was the Holy Spirit, just finally helped him see that there's a massive problem in the illustration. Being that someone in the illustration knows that it's an elephant. Right? Someone's not blind. So if you say that all religions only have a piece of the truth and no one has the whole truth, you can only say that if you yourself have the truth which you say no one can have. How else can you know it's an elephant? Right? If I say, well, Hinduism is this, and Buddhism is this, and Christianity is this, I can only say that if I have the entire view of reality, whereby I can then tell every religion your place in the order. But that sounds very arrogant. Well, it's not. It's not arrogant. Sounds like you're saying every religion where it needs to be. And so in the, in the illustration, he talks about that, and it made me think of what you hear now often is that all paths lead to God. And what someone would say to you now is that there's not one way, there are many ways. But the thing is, every time that you make a truth claim, you're being exclusive, Right? Every truth claim is by nature exclusive. That's the whole point of making a truth claim. You're excluding other viewpoints of truth. Right? You're excluding other types of ideas. I remember hearing this in college. I was taking a philosophy class and kind of going down like a super postmodern route. Right? There's no such thing as absolute truth. And I thought, that sounds right and rebellious. And there is no absolute truth until my philosophy professor said, well, R.D., when you say there is no such thing as absolute truth, you are making an absolute truth claim. What? <laughs> Wait, he's like, yeah, right? Everyone who says, who makes a truth claim is being exclusive. Everyone, Tim Keller puts it this way in his book, The Reason for God. He says, it's no more narrow to claim that one religion is right than to claim that one way to think about all religions, namely that all are equal is right. We are all exclusive in our beliefs about religion, but in different ways. Everyone is exclusive. Every religion is exclusive in that it tells you this is how you know God. This is how you can come to know God. This is how you know God is pleased with you. And these are the practices that will make God happy with you. And every religion has its hold on that. Every religion teaches something very different. And if you look at almost every religion, whether it's Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or Confucianism, you run through all the isms. They basically say this. A prophet or a sage comes on the scene and says, I've come to show you how to find God. And here are the steps, here's the path, here's the prayers, here's the fasting, here is how you can come to find God. Just do these things. I've come to show you the way to find God. But Jesus Christ says something far different than that. Christianity says something very different than that. Jesus Christ comes on the scene and says, I'm not a prophet who's come to show you how to find God. I am God come to find you. Right? Now, well, that's actually a little different than just being a prophet. (laughs) who says, I think you can know God if you do these things. Jesus Christ is God himself who's come to find you, to come and seek and to save you. And so the claims that he make are massively exclusive. And so if you read the Gospels, what you have to come away with thinking is Jesus Christ is either the way or no way. There is no middle ground with Jesus. You cannot say, what a nice man. He loves 
puppies. He loves children. He loves just all these people. We should just believe these nice things about him. You cannot honestly read the Gospels and think that. A man who says, you need to deny your mother and father. You need to admit that you are a sinner who is broken, that I'm going to save, and I am going to rule over your life, right? That sounds pretty comprehensive. That sounds like someone who's more than just a prophet. That sounds like someone who really thinks he is God. Jesus Christ is very different from every other way. And so when we talk about Jesus Christ being the way, what do we mean? Where does Jesus himself claim that he is the way? And if we're looking at every religion or every really uh, philosophy making exclusive truth claims, and the point is this, we can't find a religion that's not making exclusive truth claims. And so what religion in the exclusive claims that it's making is going to create the most inclusive community imaginable? Well, I think that's only the church. It's only the gospel that's going to do that. It's only through Jesus that we become massively inclusive, even as we say he is the way and the truth and the life. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 14, or Juan chapter 14. John chapter 14, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 14, verse 1. This is Jesus talking here at the beginning. John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. So you probably maybe know, some of you may know one of the verse there. Uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I remember growing up in the deep south and seeing this, uh, this one verse on billboards and on like t-shirts everywhere. And it was always in these massive bold letters. It always struck me as like super intimidating, like I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and everyone who doesn't believe in me is going to hell. And I was like, wow, Jesus, like there's fire around the billboard. I'm just thinking, this is really intense. Like, did Jesus say that, right? And then people, I believe in this verse, but they take it out of its context. And so what I want to do in our time that we have this morning is actually put this verse in its context, in what Jesus is talking about and who he's talking to. And so in John chapter 14, we're in the middle of the Passover meal, the night before Jesus is crucified. In John chapter 13, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. And so you have this massive intimacy between the disciples who've been walking with Jesus now for three years. And so in John chapter 14, what we see here in in verse 1 is this, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, meaning the disciples' hearts were troubled. They were anxious. They were nervous. Jesus is trying to explain to them, I have to leave. I have to go to my father. And they're like, what? Why? Why can't you stay with us? We've, you've been with us for three years. You know everything about us, and you love us, and you help us, and you serve us. And, and I know we're not perfect, but we're trying really hard. Jesus, don't go yet. You can't be done yet. And they're anxious, and they don't know what's going on. They aren't sure exactly who Jesus is, even still. 
and what he's talking about. And he's trying to paint them a picture of the world that they all long for that is coming one day. He says, I'm going to my father's house. And in my father's house, there are many rooms. Now, Jesus is not speaking literally here. It's not like the new heaven and new earth is like Manhattan. And every one of us has a one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> okay? There may or may not be rooms in the new heaven and new earth, but he's trying to help them see that he is preparing a place for his disciples where they will rule and reign with Jesus forever and ever. I go to prepare a place for you, a home for you, that the world that you all are longing for without pain, without misery, without darkness, that world is coming one day. In fact, it's already begun through me, and one day it'll be consummated when I come back for you and take you to be with me where I am. You will no longer be soaked in a sense of exile. You will be bathed in the light of my presence. That is where you will be. Good news for you this morning who are in Christ. You will be there as well. He will come back for you as well. And the disciples like you and I maybe are like, what does that exactly mean? We, like we don't know what that means. But the point here is Jesus is not saying the statement in a comparative religion class, right? He's not saying the statement in a theology class. They are reclining at a table together and the disciples are anxious, And Jesus is trying to paint them a picture of the world that is coming through him and how he is the way into that world. Right? Verse 4 says this. Jesus says, you know the place, the way to the place where I am going. And I love Thomas. I think he speaks to the disciples in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? He's like, Lord, we don't know where you are going. I know you're trying to tell us, but we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. Where are you going? What is this place like? We have no idea where you're going. And even like the anxiety is even higher now because Jesus is saying, I'm going to this place. And he's like, you know how to get there. And they're like, we don't know how to get there. What's the GPS coordinates? Tell us what to do. How do we get to this place? All we want to do is be with you forever. And in that moment of uncertainty and anxiety, Jesus could say a lot of things. He could say, okay, Thomas, here's how you get there. It's through religious obedience. Here is the five steps on your way to heaven. If you do four of them your whole life really well, I will let you in. Right? He could say that here's the ladder that you have to climb to get to me. And every step is by your morality. He could say that. But here's the problem with that. If the scale to heaven is 4.0. And that's what gets you in, right? Or that's like the the, the perfect scale. And we say 3.5 gets you in to the new heaven and new earth. You'd say, okay, 3.5. I may never have gotten that in high school or college, you know. Well, me included. But I think my morality is like that, kind of. I think I could get in. I think I'm a good enough person. Well, then the question is, well, what if you get a (sighs) 3.49? Should have gone to church one more time. (laughs) Should have opened the door for that woman. (laughs) 3.49? Why don't I get in? It's not fair. Right? And then you begin to wonder, well, 3.5 keeps shifting because some weeks you have weeks where you're more like a 4.0 and some of your weeks are more like a 1.0. And sometimes from 2 to 3 p.m. on a Saturday, you're a 4.0. And from 3 to 4 p.m. on a Saturday, you're a 1.0. Right? It's amazing how we go up and down. It's always shifting, always changing. And Jesus is trying to save us from the empty pursuit of religious obedience because you can never have assurance that God welcomes you and that God loves you. If what you think gets you into his presence is your obedience, because you and I know we are not good. We are broken. And the scale could be 1.0. 
and we will never get in. It's not about comparing your morality to your neighbor. <laughs> it's about your comparing your morality to the God of the universe. And in that, all of us get a 0.0. No extra credit. <laughs> no hope. But Jesus could say that. But he doesn't say that. He could also say, Thomas, and this would be very popular now, he could also say, Thomas, you pursue what's right for you. Right? Whatever you dream it, you do it. As long as it's not hurting anyone else. But you be you. Right? You do whatever you need to do to be happy. But he doesn't say that. Thank goodness he doesn't say that. Because the pursuit of your own happiness is a self-centered life. It sounds right. It sounds, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I should just do whatever makes me happy. But in the end, it's like running on a treadmill over and over again. But when you get off the treadmill, you've actually gone nowhere. You've made no progress in life because actually everything in your life was about you. And everything in your life was about your own happiness. You didn't hurt anybody, maybe, but you hurt yourself. Because you didn't know the reason that you were made. It wasn't for you. It was for God who made you. But Jesus could say that. And in the moment, they probably have been like, okay, I think we can do this, right? Because here's the point. You and I, me especially, we love the steps. Give me the five steps. Give me the plan. Give me the homework. I can understand that. I can get that. Tell me what it takes to climb the steps to get to this place where you're going. But Jesus doesn't say any of that. And as the question hangs in the air, as the disciples are reclining at the table, looking at Jesus, probably breathing heavily, this is the night before he's going to be crucified. In the fog of this uncertainty and this anxiety, Jesus looks at Thomas and he says in verse 6, Jesus answered him, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, the symbol of Christianity is not a ladder. It's a cross. And it's not about the pursuit of your own pleasure. It's about the pursuit of the pleasure of Jesus, who's given up his whole life for you. And so Jesus saves us the uncertainty and the anxiety, the misery and the pain of trying to search for all the answers on our own. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because the great question is, how can we come to know God? And how can we know that God accepts us and that God loves us? The only way is through Christianity. The only way is through the gospel. Because it's not what you do for God, it's what God has done for you that sets you free. And if the Son sets you free, as we sang, and you are free indeed, free forever and the place that God is making for you. Well, how can Jesus say this? Well, because Jesus is not just a prophet who is now dead. He's alive and ruling and reigning. C.S. Lewis, I love, he puts it this way. He says, there comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion, man, search for God. You may have heard that. Suddenly draw back, supposing we really found him. Oh, we never meant it to come to that. And kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I think you get it. He says, worse still, supposing he'd found us. Now, this is different. You can only seek after God because he first came to seek after you. This is how Christianity separates itself from all other religions. You say, I'm going to find my way to God. I can find my way to God. You have no chance of finding God and knowing God as Father unless Jesus Christ comes into the world, lives the life, dies the death, rises again, ascends to the Father, and now he rules and reigns at his side. The only way that we can find him is because he found us. Eugene Peterson, in his book, The Jesus Way, puts it this way. He says, not only is Jesus 
the, the way that we get to God. Jesus is the way that God gets to us. Right? Oftentimes we think, well, I get that, but it, it's how I get to God. It's how I'm okay with God. He said, no, no, no. It's not just that. It's how God actually gets to you through Jesus. Because Jesus is God. That's the whole point. Why is he the way? Because he's not just a teacher. He is God himself. And so all of the sin and all of the ruin, all of the self-centeredness, all the ways that we pursue our own way that has left this world in ruin and brokenness and our lives in ruin and brokenness, Jesus says, I alone can atone for that on the cross. I am the only one who can bear the sins of your life and the world. And so now you can know that the way that I'm providing is secure. That this bridge will never break. It will never falter. Because Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. There is one God. There is one way to God, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom, as a rescue, as a substitution for all of us, for all people, not just for a certain kind of people, not just for smart people, not just for Packer fans. Not just for Bears fans, not just for white people, not just for women, not just for, right, right, not just for any, for all people. This is the whole point. This is what separates the way that you get in is just admitting that you have need. And then in the gospel, all you need is need. All you need is to say, I'm not the way, but I think you are the way. Help me. Because Jesus is not just a man. He is God himself. Ravi Zacharias, in his book, Jesus Among Other Gods, talks about this. Ravi Zacharias is a, grew up in a Hindu family and came to know Christ after he um, tried to commit suicide when he was a teenager. And now he's one of the greatest Christian apologists in the world. He speaks to the UN. He speaks at Congress. He speaks to world leaders. Just the other day, he was at Harvard doing a Q&A with students about Jesus. And in his book, Jesus Among Other Gods, he says this about what separates Jesus and why he is the way. It will be on the screen. There are teachers who point to their teaching or show some particular way. In all of these, there emerges an instruction, a way of living. It is not Zoroaster to whom you turn, it is Zoroaster to whom you listen. It is not Buddha who delivers you, it is his noble truths that instruct you. By contrast, Jesus did not only teach or expound his message, he was identical with his message. In him, say the scriptures, dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He did not just proclaim the truth. He said, I am the truth. He did not just show a way. He said, I am the way. He did not just open up vistas. He said, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the I am. In him is not just an offer of life's bread. He is the bread. He is the way we truly know God because he is God himself. He is God himself. He is the only one who offers atonement for the sins of the world so that you and I can know that the way to God has been paid in full. And we can have assurance. And so vertically, we are okay. Even though we continue to mess up, we're continually not making it right. We're okay this way. Because Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he meant it. He meant it. Well, not only that, friends, not only is he the way to God, not only is he the way that we get right with God. It's not just vertically. It's not just, okay, Jesus is the way. Fantastic. Now I can sit over here in my cubicle in my home and watch the world burn. 
right? Because did you know that the early Christians were not called Christians? Though they were Christians, okay. <laughs> you know what they were called? They were called people of the way. If you read the book of Acts, I'm not making it up, I promise. <laughs> it's not like, that can't be true. <laughs> no, it is true. If you read through the book of Acts, the word Christians used once. Many more times than that is used as a description, people of the way, the early church. Well, what way? <laughs> that doesn't feel like good marketing to me, right? You're thinking trying to build a church, we are people of the way. What? <laughs> what does that even mean? That doesn't even make sense. What way? And I think over and over again, the early church would have to explain what way they're talking about. What is the way that we're following? What is the way that we're pursuing in this world? It's not just that we are okay with God. It's not just how we get to heaven. It's actually how heaven gets in the earth right now. How does that happen? Only through Jesus. It's not just the way that we get to God. It's the way that God actually gets into this world, that he rules and reigns over all things. And so the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And the way of the church is the way of reconciliation. It's the way of justice. It's the way of beauty. It's the way of freedom. It's the way that leads from Egypt to the promised land. It's the way that leads from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. It's the way that leads from darkness to light. It's the way that leads from bondage to freedom. It is the way of Jesus. It's the way that leads from Jerusalem to Golgotha. And Jesus says, you as well, take up your cross and follow me. That is the way. And so guys, listen, the church, the community of the way should be the most inclusive community imaginable because we alone are built on mercy and not merit. Right? How could this not be, no offense to all of you here, the most humble gathering of people right now on planet earth? Because you're saying, by me being a Christian means this, I'm broken, I'm fallen, I'm sinful, and someone else had to pay for me to be here. Where in that does it leave you looking down on other religions or other faiths or other people, right? If you're saved, saved by being a secular person, then you're always going to look down on religious people because they're stupid, right? If you're saved by being a religious person, you're always going to look down on people who aren't behaving as well as you. Whatever saves you, right? You look at everyone else and say, well, you don't have that. But the gospel is not Jesus making bad people good people. The gospel is Jesus making dead people have a heartbeat and making them alive. And so now we look at the world without looking down at it. And the church is a community of people that points out to the world all the ways that they're going that will never satisfy them and say, we have a better way. Not that we're better, but we know one who is better. It does not bring God glory Right for your performance to be what we send out to the world and say, look at this group of people on the hill over here on Specker Road. <laughs> look how awesome we are. No, no. Look how awesome Jesus is who saves us and rescues us and calls us family. That's what we want to project to the world and say, we're not better, but we know one who is. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way of not looking down on other people. It's the way of the cross. Yes and amen, Jesus is the way to God, and Jesus is the way that God gets into this world through the church. And so people are making fun of you, people are looking down on you, people are persecuting you. Jesus says that's part of being on the way. That's part of being people of the way. Jesus, Jesus does not save us and then say, you go figure it out. I'll see you in heaven. Right? He saves us, and then through the Holy Spirit, he actually walks with us to help us be people of the way. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. 
He says, so the Jesus way, the ways of Jesus, he shows the way, he also is the way. He doesn't point out the way and then step aside and let us get there on our own the best we can. Jesus points out the way, but then he takes the initiative, inviting us to go with him, taking us with him across land and sea through all kinds of weather, avoiding dead ends and seductive byways, watching out for danger and alerting us to enemies. Jesus is the one who walks with us through the fire. And he says, the way is long, the way is treacherous, but I have said, I am the way. I am the way, the way where, when we say Jesus is the only way to God, what we need to be clear about is saying, what God, right? What God is Jesus the way to? Like Zeus, a powerful God, right? Like a God who is kind of just a force that gives us some good mojo here and there. What God is Jesus allowing us access to? And how do we come to know God? Well, we'll close with this. The final verse of this section in verse 7 of chapter 14, it says this. Jesus has just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Jesus is the only way that you and I can know God as Father. He is the only way that you and I can have a relationship with God, and God can actually be our Father. And so Jesus says, the way you know God is your Father, not just as a powerful being, not just as someone who's removed from the world, but the way that you know God is your Father is through trusting in Jesus the Son. That is the way. And so it's not just about saying, well, all these other ways are wrong. It's about where does the way lead? It leads to the Father's presence. It leads to knowing God as your Father. It leads to being known that you're children, that you're adopted by God through what Jesus has done for you, that your identity is not tied to your performance, but to his promise, calling you his sons and his daughters. So it doesn't matter now what you do, but the only way to actually know and experience God as your father is through Jesus. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, if you've touched me, if you really, truly know me, then you know God is your father and you have assurance that when you meet God face to face, he will welcome you. He will not say, well, let's look at the record. Let's stack it up. What's the GPA? Because it's not a ladder, it's a cross. And our father loves us. Our father cares for us. And no other religion is it taught that you can actually know God as your, you can know God in a lot of religions. Only Christianity says you can actually know God as your father. And being a um, first-year father this year, it made me think differently about this passage. I probably would have preached it much differently a year ago. You experience life much differently the older that you get, right? And I thought, God as father, well, I know what that means, right? He's kind of got a beard, and he's nice and friendly, and that's wonderful, great, right? That's, that's what you think, right? <laughs> that's what I thought. And then God does this crazy thing where he actually lets people become fathers and mothers and says, actually, maybe this is what it's like. And so before my girls were even born, I wrote them a letter uh, the day before they were born on New Year's Eve a year ago and some change now. And I had no idea what I was doing, right? I just, I had to write something down because I like to write and just, I process by writing. Okay. Those of you who do that, I love you, (laughs) right? (laughs) And I had to write something down. And so I wrote it and, um, I just want you to read a part of it. And I, I, in there, I wrote to my girls, not even knowing them, just knowing them through the ultrasound screen. 
They haven't done anything for me. They never said they loved me. Uh, But I love them. I already love them. And I just wrote to them. Maybe one day they'll read it. And I wrote wrote a long... I'm not going to read the whole thing. I promise we'd be here till the Packer game. So I don't want to do that for you. (laughs) I said, why do I love you, you ask, when they ask, hopefully. Because you are my daughter. Not because how smart you will be, though I know you'll be much smarter than me. Not because of how beautiful you are, though I know you'll be beautiful girls inside and out. Not because of anything you will achieve or do, though I know you will achieve and do far more than I could ever dream for you both. I love you first and foremost because you are mine. You're my daughters, and nothing you could do could ever change that. I pray every day that one day you'll come to know God as your father, a much greater father than me who loves you far more deeply and perfectly than I ever could. And to these verses sinking deep into your soul, I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm convinced that the best part of my life is about to start, and it's all your fault. I hardly feel ready, but you didn't ask me. You just decided to come and start your lives, and I can't wait to see what lives you girls will live. One more thing before I go, and one I hope you'll always know. I love you because I love you. Right? I always have. I always will. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Dad. I didn't, even, I didn't even know them. And I already said, I love you because I love you. And my love was not tied to anything but their identity. And over the past year of my life, all the things that I've done as a father, that changing poopy diapers, it's amazing how something so small, right? <laughs> did, we, did we show the picture? Yeah. Not in their diapers. <laughs> Not as cute, right? And so many diapers. And I'm, I'm speaking, I'm using the metaphor as father, but my wife and the mom, my mom, my mom, my wife, their mom has done far, far more, right, than I ever could. And I, I look at them over the past year and the things that I have done for them and changing their diapers and crying with them and crying because they're crying and I don't know what else to, uh, to do and helping them not kill themselves, right? Um, which is kind of what God does for us and uh, doing everything for them and getting on the ground with them and playing with them. What I don't do is sit in the other room and look on like a monitor and just kind of say, oh, that's wonderful. I actually get off my chair and I play with them and every night I go to bed exhausted. And I couldn't be more happy. Jesus says, the way you can know God like that is through me. The only way you can know a God who gets off the couch, who gets out of the bed, who wakes up, if you will, and plays with you and holds you and cares for you and loves you because he loves you is only through me. The fatherhood of God. I think no passage spells it out better this way. Don't turn there. I'm just going to read this. When the prodigal son finally wakes up and realizes that he's totally bankrupt his whole life and he thinks his father will never accept him. He thinks, I got to go back home and atone for everything that I've done because I've messed up so much. I know my father will never accept me. Obviously, the story is really about God, the father and Jesus. Verse 18, he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father, full of fear. But, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. 
Only in Christianity, only in the gospel, do you have a God who's as reckless as that. Who says to you and to me, I know everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. I know all of it. And through the way that Jesus has opened up, I say to you, if you trust in him, you can come home. No matter what you've done, I love you. Come home. I've prepared a place for you. Let's pray. Our Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we do know that you have made a way. And the crazy thing is not that there is just one way. The crazy thing is that there is a way. That there is even a path by which we could ever even approach your throne with confidence. But Jesus, we know that through you we can have confidence because you say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The way you know God as Father, the way we know you as our Father is through your Son. Father, I pray that we would be a church that points people to the way of Jesus, that lives out the way of Jesus because we're just so captured by a vision for what this world could look like if the way of Jesus flooded and filled all things. Father, for the kingdom of this earth to look more and more like the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Thank you for being a father who runs after us, who kisses us and says, come home. I got a room ready for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen.